Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. One of the things that we as believers have been charged with is this whole idea of evangelism, of being spiritually attractive, that others may ask, what is it about our lives that set us apart? They'll see the difference by the way we deal with our neighbor. Uh, Jesus preached about being a good neighbor. Uh, being hospitable and uh, contextualizing every situation so that others may see a uniqueness, a holiness about our lifestyles. And one of the things about going to uh, Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or other uttermost part of the earth or right where in your neighborhood, when we go, we'll come in contact with individuals sooner or later that are different from us. And it's important that we equip ourselves that we may better set an example that Christ would approve of by the way that we treat those that may not look like us or talk, talk like us. So this falls under the category of cultures as well as customs. So today I thought it would be, Uh, a treat for us to bring in someone uh, who spent the majority of their lives dealing with evangelism, with the context of multi multiculturalism. And so if you would let us welcome uh, Reverend Bob Rasmussen, who is the director of near frontiers ministry and uh, brother Rasmussen. Welcome to sound reasoning. Thank you, Perseus. It's good to be with you. Thank you so much. Now, can you tell us more about a little bit about yourself in context of what you're doing through your ministry near frontier, near frontiers? Sure. We uh, seek to help equip believers and churches to do just what this program is about—to be more sensitive, more aware more curious about cultures around them with the view toward sharing the love of Christ with those who are of different cultures. We're especially interested right now in people that God is bringing from uh, lands where normally Jesus is not commonly heard about, Mm. so from the Middle East or certain Asian countries. We as a church in the U.S. have a great opportunity to befriend these uh, newcomers and uh, to expose them to the love of Christ where normally they would not have that chance. The most obvious thing in sharing with people that may not be in our inner circle immediately is this whole thing of culture. And uh, we know that culture encompasses quite a few things. So tell us more about what culture is and uh, um, and, and, and how it is relevant to what we're talking about today. Yeah, good. There are a thousand and one different definitions of culture. We're not talking about culture as in the theater or the symphony <laughs> orchestra at the uh, 
downtown <laughs> theater. Right. So, so a simple definition would be it's that that whole system of of meaning and value and practices that shape our life and look shape the way we look at the world. Mm-hmm. So there are many things that contribute to culture. Uh, it's not simply our ethnicity, but that's a, a major factor. But our personality figures in the community we were born and raised in. Uh, places we've lived have affected the way we look at the world. So culture is somewhat of the sum total of how we we get along in life and what we think is right and, and appropriate. And so clearly different people have different cultures and they therefore feel that different ways of living their life and their family uh, is right for them. And we tend to project that on others and say, well, you know, my culture is really the best. So why don't you <laughs> do things the way I do? Right. <laughs> and that's where we, we run into some problems. Right. So why is the appreciation for culture uh, why is that a good thing as it pertains to uh, Christians and evangelism? Yeah, good question. Um, we have uh, a good example in Jesus who, uh, when he crossed into Samaria, he uh, deliberately went into that area where normally Jews would, would bypass it. And then we have the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 who says, I become I enter into the skin of Jews, Gentiles, those mm. with the law, those without, because it's the nature of the gospel to try to make itself understood by the one who's receiving it. And uh, so our job is to uh, not adapt to the other culture, but learn enough about it so that we can help people see the good news from from their lens and from their culture. Um one example of this would be that, okay, so most of us in the U.S. who have lived here a number of years at least have a more even individualistic view of things. And so when we think of salvation, we think of, well, what do I need to do as an individual to overcome my guilt? Oh, it's good news. I can be forgiven. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a guilt to innocence uh, process of, of being saved. But many cultures come from a, a perspective that's more communal. Mm. And what they're uh, concerned about isn't so much their individual sin, it's more the issue of, are they honored by their whole community? Mm. And so salvation to them uh, means more when it's described in the sense of uh God can deliver us from shame to a position of honor, Mm. and he can restore us to a right relationship with our community. So it's good for us to understand. That's just an example. It's good for us to understand how different people would grasp salvation. And uh, I like to say it, what would be good, good news in their ears, you know, as they hear it, what really sounds good to them. And so we need to build relationships and come to understand how they see their life, how they see their problem and their need, so that then we can relate the good news to their particular situation. Thank you for that. My next question um, deals with cultural blind spots. And I know what a blind spot is as pertains to driving a vehicle, but what is a cultural blind spot? 
Yeah. Well, it's uh, when we don't see something that's important to another culture because it's not something we think about in our own. Mm. Uh, I remember when I first went to Africa as a missionary in 1990, uh, I come from a more doing-oriented culture, and and uh, my family growing up, we valued tasks and accomplishments. And, and then I went to Africa, You'd know something about this, Perseus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I went there, and I found that people were much more being-oriented, that many African families valued being together, right? and they didn't always need to accomplish something. And so at first, I was blind to this strength <laughs> of the African cultures that I was, I was entering into. Mm-hmm. But over the years there, I began to see that it's good to value both the being and the doing. So I had a blind spot. I didn't see its value, but over time I began to see the value of it. I I appreciate that testimony. And I also remember uh, reading a book uh, some years ago that emphasized the role of time in culture, uh, whereas Mm -hmm. the Western mindset as it relates to time is sometimes different than other parts of the world. Can, can you unpackage that for us? Exactly. Yeah, there are many cultures where um, there are different kinds of time. In our American culture, typically, we value clock time. That is, uh, you're respecting my time when you show up at 3 o'clock when we said we would. Right. Other cultures value what we would call event time. And there the clock isn't as important as the event that's supposed to happen. Mm. So, for example, you may say, well, our meeting tonight is going to start at 7. Well, here you are, 7.45, 8.15, and the meeting hasn't really started yet. Well, what's going on? Mm. Well, it's because so-and-so hasn't arrived yet or because we don't have enough people here yet to start. What's important isn't the clock time, but the event time. <laughs> mm. And again, both are equally valid. Right. So as we're dealing with um, different cultures that may walk into our churches, uh, we need to be cognizant and appreciative of their worldview in terms of how they may view time. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's a good example, yes, of how uh, sometimes uh, different views of time will... In in a sense, cause offense. For example, if if I ask you to show up at uh, Starbucks for a meeting and you come twenty minutes late, I could say, "Well, man, <laughs> this guy doesn't even value my time." Right. But in fact, he may have been in a very important conversation on the way over, and uh, he valued the the conversation for what it was. So I need to give grace to understand. Or if I invite someone to my home for a meal and they come late, it may not be because they don't think it's important to, you know, be there on time. It could be that something really important was happening that delayed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do appreciate that uh, unique uh, version of the story that you just gave. So the next thing, as we as it relates to evangelism and dealing with cult, uh, culture and dealing with uh, people's worldview, is this whole thing of uh, syncreticism. Can you please explain to our listeners what is syncreticism and uh, why should we uh, be mindful of it so that um, 
we don't uh, go too far in us trying to expose people to the gospel? Yeah, very good question, and very relevant, too, especially these days. So um, a a layman's view of uh, or definition of of syncretism would be where we we merge two ideas or different ideas together. Um, So we want to be careful that we don't uh, merge things that would create false doctrine. Mm. Uh, Paul in Galatians 1 was very protective of the true gospel. Remember, he said anyone who preaches a different gospel will be accursed. Right. Um, at the same time, we don't want to place unnecessary obstacles which would keep people from believing. Right. So if there are minor doctrines or particular practices of our denomination, we don't want to hold those up and say, well, you've got to to believe every single thing that we believe in order to uh, become a believer. Because remember, Jesus said, one who comes with the simplicity of, of childlike faith can can believe. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's kind of an art rather than a science. Uh, there's no a definite line. You have to really think about what uh, the issue is, what the person is is struggling with. Uh, there's uh, an interesting conversation going on right now uh, out of Wheaton College, where a uh, a, a professor has uh, gone to wearing a burqa and made the statement that uh, both Muslims and Christians worship the same God. And of course, this has stirred up quite a bit of uh, of passion and uh, conversation around that that very important discussion, but it's an example of where syncretism is is really important to, right. to understand. Right. Um, yeah. So, if I could offer a couple of points of advice on this, one would be to focus on the core truths of God's love right. and of salvation, um, and you know maintain that focus on the forgiveness that's available to us in Christ. Uh, a second thing would be trust the Holy Spirit to use the gospel to convince others. Uh, it's not our job to support or to to sort of steamroll someone into what they believe. We can trust the Holy Spirit. And the third would be to be available to answer honest questions with humility. Right. Uh, we don't get very far by arguing. Right. And uh, sometimes arguing just solidifies the other person in his or her belief. And so we want to be those that are, are loving and compelling and attractive uh, on behalf of Christ. And and what you're saying is so true because the whole gospel always points back to doing everything with charity, doing everything That's right. with love as the motive. And if love is the true motive, then we're not going to be uh, judgmental to the point of condemnation, and we're not going to put ourselves in a place that God doesn't want us to be in. So you're right. In, in all of our sharing and all of our praying and all of our contact with other people, it has to be rooted in genuine love. That's right. Uh, my next question deals with, um, and, and you kind of segued into it, which is perfect, uh, our country is not dealing with the relationship between Islam and uh, those that are not Muslims. So mm-hmm. when it comes to 
sharing with not just Islam, but sharing with uh, uh, other people, especially the, uh, in the Muslim world, since we're talking about that so prevalently now. How should we go about um, dialoguing with, let's say, a coworker or uh, a family friend that happened to be a Muslim? How should we go about uh, sharing with them in love? Yeah, that's good. I, I really emphasize the love part. Uh, there's a lot of news media and such that's trying to emphasize the fear aspect, and I think it's important for us to to recall our role as as believers. You know, uh, really, it's the the job of government to protect citizens. It's our job as disciples to love everyone in Jesus' name. And uh, so, a couple of pointers on this would be. Uh, get to know Muslims personally. Um, as you do that, you'll find that they're dads and moms who want to raise their kids just like the rest of us. And so getting to know Muslims as friends is a really important thing. Uh, another would be to be bold in witness, but not foolish. Right. Uh, James tells us to be pure, peace-loving, full of mercy, and good fruit. So... Uh, we shouldn't apologize at all for the fact that we are followers of Christ, uh, but to do so gently, just as you've been saying. I think a fourth thing is to realize that Muslims respect Jesus as a prophet, second only to Muhammad. So you can share stories of Jesus as a teacher and as a savior, and there's a built-in respect, even in their text, the Quran, which uh, you can build upon and discuss freely and ask your Muslim friend what he thinks about Jesus, what he knows about Jesus, and that can be a very fruitful uh, line of conversation. Uh, along with that, um, let difficult questions wait till later. Um, Muslims are often taught that, you know, several things, that the Bible has been corrupted, that Jesus did not really die, and therefore was not really raised. Uh, they have been taught that Christians believe in three gods, and that since God is one, he could not have a son who is also God. And so you can see there are different things that they would naturally object to. But my advice would be just to kind of steer the conversation back to Jesus and, and his forgiving grace, his restoring of our honor, and just focus on Jesus and let the, the more difficult questions come later. Uh, one of my colleagues has done this with a, a woman of uh, Muslim background, and this woman put her faith in Jesus, mm. but she couldn't believe in the Trinity. And actually, it was years later, as my colleague worked with this Muslim convert, that the lady finally said, I can believe the Trinity. I don't understand it, but God has shown himself faithful, and I can Amen. at least believe that the Trinity is what the Bible says it is. And so we can just leave some of these more difficult things for later and let the Holy Spirit pick up on them over time. My last uh, question deals with um, there's the segment within the uh, Christian family of Muslims who ha have decided to put their faith in Jesus. Can you tell us more about uh, th that particular group? Well, yeah, God is drawing people to himself, that's for sure. And uh, Muslims who come to faith in Jesus, or as the Quran calls it, Isa, 
discover him to be approachable and loving, and they're drawn to his character. Uh, sometimes, whether here in the States or even more so in, in the Middle East, they suffer persecution or even death yeah. for choosing Christ. Uh, some come to faith, but they stay within their cultural family or their their Muslim culture, right. even sometimes going to the mosque and, and praying to the Lord Jesus as they do so. So the key is to for them to, to latch on to Jesus. He's compelling. And uh, so we should pray for this to happen. Sometimes the Lord is appearing to to Muslims in dreams and in visions, and uh, he's revealing himself in a way that they can relate to. So it's a wonderful thing. We need to pray that uh, these uh, these Muslim background believers would have courage to undergo persecution. But I'll tell you, they, they fall in love with Jesus because they've never experienced such uh, wonderful grace and, and mercy from him. Amen. Brother Rasmussen, we thank you so much for being on Sound Reasoning, and I'm sure that our listeners have been edified by your wisdom. Thank you so much, my brother, and and prayerfully we have a chance to dialogue again. All right, wonderful. It's been good to be with you. Thank you. Okay, have a great day. Uh, That's Professor Bob Rasmussen from the Near Frontiers Ministry, where they do such a great job of contextualizing the gospel for the different cultures that exist. And if you're listening to me, it's my prayer that you uh, are blessed and you have experienced the moving of the Holy Spirit as you share the gospel, the Evangelion. And every Christian has been called to go ye therefore and to teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, baptizing them in whatsoever he's commanded us. And lo, he is with us all way, even unto the end of the world. We don't have to apologize for being Christians. We don't have to be scared. We just need to be faithful and obedient. And God wants to do some great things through all of us, regardless of how long you've been in Christ. God wants us to be spiritually attractive that others may know uh, that Jesus is working in our lives. And if he uh, if we're not uh, able to share the gospel, I'm sure there are numerous trainings that you can attend uh, to help equip you to be more bold and to be more knowledgeable about the Bible that we believe in. So please, everyone that's a believer, take part, become active, share with your neighbor, share with family members, share with your coworker. Share with those in the grocery stores. Share with those at the postal service. We need to share the gospel because people need to know the truth for themselves. Please consider becoming a financial sponsor of our apologetic ministry. And may God continue to bless you and your family as we do for the truth what others do for life. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. 
Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Well, the physician comes in and says, tells this lovely couple, hey, your son's not going to make it. But there's a young girl here in the hospital who just delivered a baby girl and she's given her up. She's going to leave her here. Do you want her instead? That was chart topper Ryan Stevenson sharing a personal testimony on The Walk, a podcast for worshipers. Join us weekly to hear artists, songwriters, worship leaders, filmmakers, and other creatives tell their stories in the form of a devotional. The Walk can be found on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast platform.